0: What a glorious day it has been already. And man, we haven't even gotten to dive into the Word of God and preaching yet. Before we begin in the sermon, let me say this. Don't you love the power of the cross that saves your daughter and your children and you? amazing, isn't it? I want to say a big thank you this morning to this glorious morning to my family who, and not just my blood family. I Me, mean, I want to make something very clear this morning. I, I, I want to say thank you to my family, that you have loved my children and you have prayed for them, to the grandparents and Uncles and cousins and and aunts and and all the family. But let me say this, let me make this very clear this morning. Uh, Faith family, you are included in that. You you, you are faith family. And you have loved my children. In almost four years, you have loved my children. You have taken them on as your own to the point that they call you. You, know, you grandmas and grandpas and they look to you as though you are our blood. You are their faith family and that means something. And you have prayed for my children. You have, you have kept and watched my children. Some of you probably have disciplined my children. But let me just say this. Some of you have been a part of their teaching the drawing of of them, God has used you to draw them, He's using you to draw them to Himself. And so I want to say thank you to my faith family on that this morning. Thank you for the prayer warriors who have prayed for Maddie and sent cards to Maddie and to all my children. I, I want to say a big thank you. And they can't be here today. And this is the reason why I hate COVID. Because it is tearing away blessings that we need to be a part of. But I want to say a big thank you this morning to those who have been a part of Maddie's teaching. Andy and Suzanne and Clay and Teresa over this last year. Who on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and when she walks in, they're pouring into her. And, and for all of you who are teaching my children to my, from, the, from, from grace and on up, you are part of this. You have loved them by giving them the gospel. We give them the gospel at home, but I bring them to you, and then you give them the gospel every time they step into your class. And every time they stay with you or whatever, you are pouring into them. And I cannot thank you enough from me and from my wife to you. Church membership means something. What my daughter did this morning was, was not just an act of just obedience and a proclamation to the world and the nations that she is now a believer. Beloved, she is now a covenanted member of this local body. She has covenanted with you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I am so thankful for this church who has loved us and been so good to us. And so it means something to be a church member. As Brother Trey said last week, you loved on him in the passing of his mom. He was a church member. You You have been a church member to us and loved on us and covenanted with us and helping us with our children and with our family. And so I say to you this morning, FBC, thank you. You mean the world to me. And it is an honor not only to be your pastor, but it is an honor and a privilege to be a church member. Now, mushy stuff aside, take your Bibles. First Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4. Our sermon series is called Dear Church, where we are looking at the letter of the Apostle Paul, who writes a letter to the Corinthian church, because this is a church with problems, because no church is perfect, but the Corinthian church is far from perfection. One of the problems that they were dealing with, and the one that we have really seen, we're going to, after, after chapter 4, we're going to begin to see all the other problems. But we've been dealing with this one in particular problem that has kind of been the source of everything else. This quarreling and fighting amongst one another. This, this, these factions forming within the church; these groups on this side, and groups here, and and groups back there, and groups over here, all kind of coming together on their little thing, and they they got their issues, and they got their problems, and they're they're kind of they're kind of fighting with one another. And so Paul is writing to correct them. It's the reason why this is called the corrective letter. And so he he's dealing with this quarreling and fighting, which is happening over pastors and elders. You, you got these factions who are saying, I follow Paul, he, he's my favorite elder. I, I follow Paul, I mean Peter, well he, he, he's my favorite elder. Or, or I follow Apollos, right? And they're, they're kind of going back and forth. So Paul, for the last three chapters, has been dealing with the simpleness. And last week, he finally begins to lay out what a pastor is. This pastor, this elder, what, what is a pastor? That he is a servant and he is a steward of the gospel. And that he, there is a requirement that has been placed upon him. The core requirement of being faithful. But now, as we saw last week there at the end, Paul will now turn his focus to the congregation. And you're going to see the reproach of the congregation. As I told you, this I love this chapter because it is full of sarcasm. And and, and so I've learned that that I can be sarcastic as a pastor. And so Paul is is using this sarcasm to shame and to bring forth to them their problem. And and he is going to rebuke them for their pride. So where last week you saw the faithful servants of God. This morning we're now going to see the prideful church. And there are three things that I want you to see this morning in these verses. We're just going to look at First Corinthians chapter four and we're going to look at verses six and eight, six 7 and eight this morning. He says, "Now these things, brethren, he says, now these things, brethren, I figuratively apply to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Who, for who regards us as superior, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast that if you had not received it? You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become king so that we also might reign with you. And may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. In 1970, the astronauts of the Apollo 13 made a... Statement that has now become a cultural catchphrase. Houston, we have a problem. For three chapters, the roles have been reversed. Where instead of the the astronaut, the spaceship, you know, which would probably be Corinth, you know, them saying back to home base you know, back to the people, you know, to NASA, Houston problem. Paul is actually looking to the, the space shuttle. He's looking at the church here and he's, he's yelling at them saying, you have a problem and you are you are heading for destruction. You are heading for a collision course with God. It's not going to go well for you. And so Paul is, is, is yelling to them of a, a problem that they do not see. And so here in verses six through eight, Paul is revealing the problem. He's revealing the problem, which is pride. They are a prideful church. The problem was never one pastor being better than another. The problem was never that the present pastor that they have is worse than the pastor they had before. Does that sound familiar to anyone? The churches have those, those fights and those discussions and those arguments, right? No wonder pastors are depressed. Because we we tend to to rank them on how good they are compared to another pastor. It it wasn't the faction that was wiser than the other. It wasn't that that this group of deacons over here were wiser than those over there. It wasn't that those young guys had a better look, you know, and a better understanding of the world than the older guys, or the older guys knew better because they lived longer. That wasn't the problem. No, the problem was, as Paul says... Is that each of these factions were puffed up and believed themselves to be superior. The quarreling over the pastors was to flaunt their own ego. I follow Paul. I had lunch with him this one time. And, and like he looked at me and, and he blessed my food. I'm better than you. Oh, well, really? I follow Apollos. And, and we went to prayer meeting one day. And, and Apollos is a lot better than Paul. You see what they were doing? They were were fighting over who was better. Not because. They didn't care about Paul. They didn't care about Apollos. It was about themselves. This had nothing to do with the preachers. And it had everything to do with their own sinful pride. And unfortunately, this is a reoccurring problem even today. People get sideways on unimportant issues. Quarrelling erupts within the church. Quarrelling and divisions erupt over building projects and financial decisions and ministry goals and and whatever it may be. We can find the churches can find the least thing, the smallest thing, and we can turn it into a world war within the church. And yet, if you and I were to be very honest with ourselves. And you were to be honest with yourself and be honest with myself, that many times that these problems that occur and the division that takes place, this dissension, is not because we care about the well-being of the church. It's not because we care about the well-being of the gospel or the glory of Christ. It's because at the end of the day that you and I, in our sinful nature, want to stroke our own egos. It's about us. But let's be biblical here. And please hear me on this. Because this is something that has been needed to be said for a hundred or more thousands of years. The local church, the faith family, is not a place that you come to to stroke your ego. It is a place you come to die to your ego. And so I'll say it again. The joining of a local church and you taking on the role, you taking on the title, church member of FBC Jonesboro, church member of whatever it is, that when you take on the title, it is not a place for you to come to build yourself up, but that you die to yourself. When Christ talks about the picking up your cross and following Him, when Christ talks about the fact that you need to die to yourself, when John the Baptist said, He must increase, then I must decrease, where do you think these things are going to take place? Out in the world? We're not called to be amongst the world. We're called. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. No, you and I are covenanted and called together. So the things that Christ commands that when he says that you are to be sacrificial in and that you are to die to yourself, it takes place on the battlefield within the barracks of the local church. And let's take a closer look at this. Look at verse 8. We're not going to go in order this morning, <laughs> which I know is a little unusual for me. But, but, but I want you to see the problem for what it is. So look at, verse, look at verse 8. And again, this is the sarcasm of Paul. He says, are you already filled? Have you, have you already become rich? You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. Paul is, 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 is being very sarcastic here. He knows the answer to the question. He says, are you already filled? In other words, have you gained so much knowledge and understanding that you need nothing else? If you want to really pinpoint the characteristic here of pride, it is that the people of Corinth were being unteachable. The Greek word here for filled, there are several words within the Greek that come out to be filled, to have this this meaning. But this one in particular only has, is only mentioned one other place. And I think this is amazing in the wisdom of God. (laughs) It gives us a a wonderful visual picture of this. In Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul is, 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 is prisoner heading to Rome. He's on a ship. The ship is going to wreck. But before the ship, you know, is shipwrecked, God is, is leading Paul. He's saving lives by telling them what to do and all that. And, and there in verse 38 of chapter 27, the, the actions are described in this way. That Paul told his shipmates that they needed to eat as much food as they could from the cargo. And then when they had had their fill, when you've had your fill, when, you're, when your bellies are satisfied, when you've had enough food and you're satisfied, throw everything else overboard. Paul knew what was about to happen. They knew they were about to be shipwrecked and they needed to lighten the load of the boat. So eat your fill and then take everything else that's here and throw it overboard. You see, the Corinthians believe themselves to be full and perfect within knowledge. I've had my fill uh, of understanding of the gospel and of, and of the scriptures. I will throw everything else that you give me overboard. Because I already know it all. They are unteachable. They believe that what they knew and what they had was complete, and they didn't need anything else. They didn't need any more. They didn't need any more teaching from their pastor. They didn't need any more teaching from their brethren that they covenanted with. They didn't need anything else. We've got it all figured out, blah. Listen, an unteachable church member, an unteachable Christian, is a prideful person. And I believe, Brother Trey and I, we talked about this, and I know you'll agree with me on this. But one of the things that I have found when working with other pastors and other people and trying to mentor them is, is that no matter how bright they are, no matter how intelligent they are, if they are unteachable, you can do nothing with them. But you take a man who is willing to learn and understand and, and discuss and have debates and hear the word of God, you can do much. These guys would listen to nothing, and toss out anything else. Do, does this describe you today, beloved? Do you already have enough understanding of the Bible that you don't need anything else from anyone? Are you filled to the to the very point of the, with the Word of God? You know, you've got it. You, you, you just know it all, and so therefore, you don't need to listen to anyone. You don't need your Christian brethren. You don't need anything they have to offer to you. Do you already have enough truth and doctrine of scripture that, you're, that, that really and truthfully, you may feel like, why am I even here? Or are you all, do you already know what's best for the church? I already know what's best for the church, and, and I don't need to listen to my brethren, my brethren. Beloved, hear me this morning. If this describes you, then you are a prideful person. An unteachable spirit is one who believes he is full and perfect and in need of nothing else. But Paul goes on, he says, not only this, you, are, you already become rich. To be rich means that you have abundance. A rich person is never in need. You are self-assured. So Paul is scolding them for, for acting as though they had need of nothing. Where are my weaknesses? Where are my failures? Where are my flaws? I don't need to grow anymore. I am rich in blessings. I have reached the top. I have got, there is more than enough uh, uh, of my blessings to go around, spiritual or physical. And yet, this is a lack of Humility. It is a lack of humility in, realize, in not realizing the fact, beloved, that you are not rich and that you do have flaws. If you recall, the very first beatitude of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5-3 is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very nature of a Christian, beloved, is to recognize their own <coughs> their own poverty and need. That at no point on this side of heaven... Are you and I ever going to reach a point where we cast aside humility? The recognition that we don't have it all together and that we are always in need of God's wisdom, strength, or whatever it may be. If we cast aside humility, beloved, and believe that we are rich, self-sufficient, then we are prideful. But Paul doesn't end there. He also says that you have become kings without us. Notice that kings are superior and they rule over others. That when a Christian, that when Christians experience the new heaven and the new earth. I've often said I don't fully understand this and, and we are unworthy of salvation in and of itself. But Jesus makes it very clear in Revelation that there's going you know, in other places in Scripture that we are, we are going to rule alongside. There, there, there's going to be this honor and this grain this rain given us and this work given to you and I that we do not deserve. But that time has not come. We're not on a new earth yet. So the Corinthians, were, though, were behaving as if they were already there, as they are already kings of the earth that they are living on now. And yet, we see this all the time, do we not? Where where people in the in the local church begin to rule over the local church, that the church becomes their, dare we say, their kingdom? And sometimes it may be the pastor. It may, very well may be the issue where there is this, this, this misunderstanding of the pastor's role. We talked about this last week, that the pastor is, is elder-led. The church is elder-led, pastor-led, rather than elder and pastor rule. It is to, to lead the people through the, the authority through the authority of God's word. But maybe the pastor begins to rule over the people, begins to dictate to the people. Or maybe the people begin to dictate themselves. They get the music they want, they get the preaching they want, they get the parking spot they want, they get the pew they want, they get the temperature setting they want, they get everything that they want. Because this is my kingdom. This is my turf. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that FBC is your kingdom? Do you see yourself superior to all other members Are you the king of the church and that every and that you deserve your heart's desire? If you believe that, beloved, you are prideful, puffed up, arrogant, and on a collision course with God. This is what the sin of pride looks like within the Christian community, even within the world, but especially within the Christian community. (coughs) You're unteachable, you lack humility and you have a sense of superiority and like they say pride comes before the fall beloved. the pride of this church is crippling the church it's worship and it's ministry around those why? and I think Augustine said it best that it was pride that changed angels into devils but this raises a question how did we get here? How does the people of God, and remember, the, these are God's people. The, Paul has made it very clear that, that, that he truly believes that these people are saved people. This isn't, uh, certainly, there are probably some goats masquerading as sheep within this church, but Paul, but Paul truly believes that these are, these are sheep, these are Christian people. So how does people who have been saved by God's grace get to this point? Unteachable? Superiority? How does God's people get here? Well, Paul answers the question. He not only gives us the problem, he also gives us the reason. So look at, again in verse 6. Especially there in the middle, where he, he says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake. So that, so so is that so that, in us, you may learn not to exceed what has been written. So Paul is using himself here as an example. And Paul, everything that he said about a servant, about a steward, Paul is saying, listen, everything that I've taught you about what a pastor, we are, I'm doing this with Apollos. And so he says, listen, you need to see this so that you do not go beyond the scriptures Paul is pinpointing here where they messed up, where they took a wrong turn. They exceeded or went beyond or above the written word of God. It's the same Greek word used in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Where we are told that the student is not above the master. In other words, the student never, ever, 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 removes himself from the authority of his master his teacher therefore to go beyond the scripture means that we are to live we are living outside the authority of god's word you're not following the scriptures you're following something else and we'll get to that in just a moment but but you're following something else you're not you're not following the words of god there's another another authority that you have looked to there is another well and there's another, there's another fountain somewhere out there that you went to and you began to drink from. And that well, that fountain, that, that source of authority began to develop and construct your beliefs and your behaviors. What authority, what source did they go to? Well, if you remember, for those who have been with us in this series, if you remember, Paul has already mentioned twice about not going beyond the scriptures or, or what is written. In chapter, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. In other words, God's wisdom is greater than the man's wisdom, and God is going to destroy that. Chapter 3, verse 19, twenty. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So notice that each time that Paul says, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is in comparison to worldly wisdom, worldly thinking. In their days, worldly philosophy. In our day, it could be philosophy. It could be politics. It may just be whatever news media you're watching. Whoever is telling you how you are to believe and how you are to live in this world. They had allowed... This philosophy to construct what a standard of what is right and wrong within the church. What a good and successful pastor. That, that right there is what good pastor. He, he, you know, he's a great speaker. He's short-winded. A lot of people come. Yeah, that, that's, that's the guy right there. And yet we found last week that is nothing. That is nowhere near the standard of what Christ has set up. We are no different, beloved. You and I have went beyond the word of God to construct and dictate the way we live and believe. And I can give you a few examples of what we've done, of what fountain we're drinking from. We drink from the fountain of experience. You know, this is what I went through one time, or so-and-so, they experienced this. Yeah, I know, but the Word of God, nope, mm -mm, no, I know the Word says that, but they experienced this. And so since they experienced this, or since I experienced this, this is how it is. This is the standard by which I will judge all things in the world based upon my experience in this area. Well, how about emotions? This is how I feel. I really, you know, this doesn't sound right. You know, preaching that gospel stuff and hell. i don't feel right. So let's take that out, right? Or, or church discipline, as we're going to get into in a, in a couple of weeks. Because let's just be honest. Church discipline doesn't feel good. And for one who has had to enact church discipline on those that he loves and cares about in the church as a pastor, it does not feel good. There are no good emotions there. But the Word of God says... This is the standard of your beliefs and your behavior, not how you feel. Well, that experts, right? In Corinth, there was philosophers. There were these guys who sat around and thought all the time and they said, we are, you need to listen to us because we have reasoned these things and we sound really intelligent. In our day, it's politicians and scientists and doctors and counselors. And it, it, it's, it's whatever TV show, it's whatever book, it's whatever you find. These people are experts and they're telling you what to do. And you look at that and you say, that sounds good. It sounds intelligent, let's do that. And any time that begins to construct your belief system and your behavior in this world beloved you have went beyond the scriptures and just to let you know how bad that really is if you think that it's not bad to live outside the scriptures if you think it's not that bad let me show you how bad it is because it took place long ago in a perfect world in a garden called eden For a woman by the name of Eve was told, You shall not eat of that fruit of that tree, or you will die. And a serpent, a devil, said to her, Did God really say that? No, he didn't. And there in the Garden of Eden, Eve listened not to the words of God. She listened to the words of the serpent. And there in the garden, Adam listened to the words not of God, but he listened to the words of his wife. And it led to the very first sin. Beloved, I can tell you here and now that I believe with all of my heart, and I believe the scripture will prove me true this morning, that almost if not all sin, all sin, that we commit We do so because we have went beyond the words of Christ. The sin of pride, the sin of lust, the sin of fear, because we are drinking from a whole other fountain that has dictated and constructed a new standard within our mind and our heart on what is right and what is wrong. And how we are to live in this world, especially even within the church. So, beloved, hear me this morning. We are to be under the word of God at all times. This is the reason why Paul said in the the previous verses that you and I must be faithful to preach the word. The, The pastor must be faithful. He has to preach the word, the pure word, and nothing but the word. He must not deviate from the word. Because if you deviate from the word, beloved, you go beyond that. And you go and drink from a poisonous fountain. And so, so, so hear me. There is wisdom in this world to be that, that can be helpful, but there is but, but it must never be contrary to the scriptures. And it can never have authority. Nothing else in all of the world can ever have authority over how I am to believe or how I'm at. Not even my own feelings. And so therefore the Bible says and teaches. That it in law must be accepted. And the best way to do this, beloved, hear me, the best way to fight against your pride. And we're going to get to the solution abroad in just a second. But the best way to fight against your pride and fight against your sin, whatever, again, lust, fear, theft, lie, what, adultery, whatever it may be, whatever sin that you have, if you want to fight against it, you must pull yourself back by repentance and find yourself placed under the yoke of scripture. You must read it and you must study it that you may know it. Read and study the Word that you may know it. Read through the Bible in a year. Brother Trey has put on our on our Facebook member's page a wonderful app. And many of you are doing it. Read through the Bible in a year. I'm doing a little bit different this year. I, I'm, I'm doing right, right now, I'm doing a, a, a Doctrine and Sound Theology one. That's the one that I'm reading in the morning. So, so whatever it may be, you're in the Bible and you're reading and you're studying it. Because if you don't know the Word of God, you're going to go beyond the Word of God. And you're going to find yourself, beloved. In a heap of trouble. We have to come to the Word. And we have books on the table. We have books in the library. I'm so excited about where, where the library is going and all the, all the things that are going to be in there. We're going to put some more things. We've got plenty of things to help you in reading and studying the Bible on your own as well. But you also must listen to exp- expositional preaching. You must listen to someone who stand that God has given you, to stand and preach from the text and not harp on topics. To not harp on government and politics and and, and anything else. You, You must hear the Word of God read and expounded to you on a weekly basis. And let me also suggest this. You must also, another wonderful way would be to read and know your church's confession of faith. What do you believe? What do I believe in these topics that I may not go beyond Scripture? That this is why we have Constitution and Bible. This is why we have a, a Baptist faith and message that we look that we have. It is boundary lines that we may not go beyond the fence. I, I, you know, my mom's here. I, I remember. Don't don't go too far that way. Don't don't go beyond the boundary lines because you get in trouble. Do that to my kids. Don't don't go too far we have these things in place both to help us why because the student is never above the master and nor are we ever above the word of god but in everything we are under its authority at all times in our life this is how they got there this was the wrong turn that they took but the question is is there a solution is there a way that i can turn this ship around how does a prideful church an unteachable church a church that lacks humility Church members who believe they're superior, how do they turn this ship around? Well, there's actually several solutions here, and I wanted to really get into all three of them. But at some point, you're going to want to go to lunch, even though it's a few verses. But very quickly, Paul gives them an example. He gives them godly examples. We need godly examples in our life. He says, me and Apollos follow us so that I, I, think, that, I think Paul's trying to help them out. Look, look to godly examples. Example. We need more people doing that. Paul's also going to get in, and but we'll do this next week. He's going to admonish them. He's going to rebuke them. He's going to begin <coughs> church discipline. But ultimately, the truth, beloved, or, or the, the solution that we find to being rich, filled and kings, going from being filled, rich, and kings to hungry, humble servants, is really found in verse 7. Notice what he says. For who regards you as superior? And what do you have that you did not, <coughs> that you did not receive? If you did receive it, then why do you boast as if, as if you did not receive it? Now, this really took me a while to 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 get out. Uh, you you have. I I was just looking at this, and at first it was just fun because Paul is asking these questions. In a, in a sarcastic, shameful way of, of putting these pe- people in their place. And it was just kind of fun to watch Paul do this to them. Just like, like he's given it to them. But when you begin to really look at the questions and you see these rhetor- it's a rhetorical questions. The answers are already there. We know the answers. He, they knew the answers. But when you begin to look at this, what you find is that Paul is actually revealing to them through these questions biblical truth. And that is the solution. Notice, notice the first one. Who regards you as superior? In other words, are you different than the rest of us? Anyone in anyone? Are you different than the rest of us? I mean, because we're all sinners. Right? I mean, I know you think we're not wise, but you're right. We're not. We're, we're sinners. But you faction, that faction over there, are you not a sinner? Because we're, we are. P-Paul, Paul is asking... Are you any different than us spiritually? The Bible is clear that we are all sinners destined for a fiery judgment. Not one person in this room, not one person outside this room today, in all of history, is, <coughs> is not destined for a fiery judgment. So why do you think that you are better? That you need, that you, don't, you have no need to learn anything or walk humbly like the rest of us? Did you gain something that we have not? <coughs> Or by your works did you earn something that we do not have? Are your works better than ours? Below the Bible is very clear that no one is better than another. Why? Ephesians chapter two verse one: We are all dead in our sins and trespasses. We're all equal. No matter who you are, no matter what, pla- no, no matter what place on this planet you are, where you were born and raised. No matter the color of your skin. Everybody's fighting for equality. And here it is. We all got it. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. In the same line. Waiting for our, for our time of judgment to come. And so the answer is very obvious that no one is superior. None of you are superior. But notice the next question. What do you have that you did not receive? In other words, did you earn your wisdom? Of, did you earn the wisdom of God by your works? Or was it given to you? Who among you is willing to raise your hand this morning and say, I found God. It was me. All you people, you can't find him because you ain't good enough, but I found him through my works, and through my intelligence, I received no help from anyone. It was all me, all day long, my doing. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, Your faith is a gift from God. No man earns his salvation. No man climbs the mountain better and faster than anyone else. No one creates their own faith or constructs their own wisdom of God. It comes from God. And we receive it not because of works or merit. As J.I. Packer says, there is nothing lovable. Instead, we are unlovable. That's the reason it's called grace. That's the reason that it's called grace, because it is an undeserved favor from God, an undeserved love and salvation from God that you could not earn on your best day. Then he says in the third question, then if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? The answer is is that you have no reason to boast. Ephesians 2, 9. For for, For salvation is by grace through faith, Not as the words of man, so that no one may boast. Everything that you have received is from the Lord. Everything that you, and if we really want to go very, very much into the doctrine and you want to get deep this morning, not one thing physical or spiritual that you have, not one thing, not the breath that you are breathing today, beloved, not the thoughts, not, not the, the, the chemicals in your brain, nothing that you have today is from yourself, but it is from God and God all day long. And if that is the case, then why do you boast in yourself? Instead, you should do the opposite but humble yourself and worship and give thanks to God for that is the opposite of pride. There's a reason we gather for worship every Sunday, beloved. Why we come here every Sunday Not not just to worship, which is awesome but it is to fight against the very sin within us. To worship God is us humbling ourselves and coming into this place and giving Him thanks for that which we have not earned. Now take all three pieces You were sinful, and you were equal in your sin and judgment. Your salvation and your faith is a gift from God; it comes from Him. You did not earn it, and so therefore you should you should not boast in Him, but you should worship and live for Him. Take all three of those and put them together, and what do you have? You have the gospel. You see what Paul did there. You have the gospel. What is the solution to my pride? What's the solution to a church that thinks they're better than everyone else and the church member who thinks they need nothing? To be reminded of the gospel. To be reminded of the gospel of Christ that no man or woman is perfect. No man or woman is rich. No man or woman is superior. Because of their sins, we are miserable and poor. But God... But God being rich in mercy because of great love with which He loved you, which He loved me, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. How did He do it? How did He give this to us? How did He, how did He make us what we are? By regarding equality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond serving and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Christ humbled himself, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 2. Christ emptied himself and humiliated himself. Christ laid himself bare upon the cross that he himself may die to your sin and to your pride that you may be made alive again to Christ. He died for you, rose from the grave, that our pride would be buried all day long. This is how he did it. He died to make us alive. The sin, the answer to my sin... The answer to my sin as an unbeliever, the answer to my sin when I am a believer and I'm a member of a church, whether it's the sin of pride, whether it's the sin of fear, whether it's the sin of lust, no matter the sin, beloved, is found all day long and twice on Sunday in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I need not look to another fountain. I need not look to another authority. I need to only look and stay within the bounds of Scripture. That is the solution. Why? Why is this and this only the solution to my sin? Because, as Spurgeon said, when I measure myself, when I measure myself and compare myself to the master, not the fellow servants, pride is impossible. Because on the hill of Calvary, pride dies. So if you're struggling this morning, if you're struggling this morning, look to the gospel. If you are a believer this morning and you've examined your heart and, and what we have called you, what we have set for you, if you examine your heart this morning, you examine your behavior, you examine your, your mind, and you ask yourself, "Am I unteachable? Do I really have it all together, and there's nothing to be taught to me anymore? If you look at yourself and you say, I, am I lacking in humility?" And the answer is yes to, to that and to the unteachableness? Or, do I have a sense of superiority?" And you see the church as your church rather than our church. This is a we, guys. This is, this is us. This is you and me. The, the, this baptism this morning was not my win. It was not Ma- Melanie's win. Do you get what I'm saying? This is our win. This is why we don't think this way. And so if you do think this way, and you are puffed up, then repent of your sin this morning of pride. Come to the altar. Repent. Repent all day long, and look to the gospel that it may be killed and buried never to rise again. Or maybe this morning you have the problem of going beyond the scriptures, and you're looking to other sources to construct a standard of of religious belief and practices of how we are to act, and how we are to live, and how we are to think in this world, and in this place right here, I call on you this morning to return to the word of God. Return to the word of God. I cannot live according to any other source in this world but by this book. Because this book will stand the test of time. It is authority. Or if you're an unbeliever this morning and you have heard the gospel for the first time, or you have heard it for the hundred and first time this morning, and you know you're a sinner. You have sinned against a holy and righteous God. Do not let your pride this morning keep you from the cross of Calvary and from keep you from the wonderful arms of Jesus. Come and be saved. Christ died that you may live. Come and repent of your sins and believe upon Christ and be saved. Let's pray.